Welcome to the Show Me Education podcast. Join us as we share best practices and show you the amazing and meaningful work of educators across Missouri and beyond. The mission of the Show Me Education podcast is to share stories that resonate with you and allow you to walk away feeling energized and inspired to improve education in your own community. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the learning. All right, welcome to the Show Me Education podcast. This is episode 26, and it is titled The Bilingual Classroom. I'm Rob Greenhaw. I'm the Mel Instructional Consultant at the St. Louis RPDC and a member of the Show Me Education podcast core team. Uh, you can always connect with me on Twitter. My handle on Twitter is at Rob Greenhaw, and that's green, G-R-E-E-N-H-A-W. Um, our guest today is uh, Ms. Jerry Ross, uh, and Ms. Ross is a teacher at Marion Elementary in the Rittner School District, and she is the teacher in a bilingual classroom, so she's going to tell us a little bit about that today. Um, you can always connect with the Show Me Education podcast on social media. You can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Show Me Education. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook if you search for the Show Me Education podcast. Um, I think, uh, you know, I just really love today's episodes for, for so many reasons. Uh, there's not a whole lot of bilingual education going on in the state of Missouri. Uh, there are a few dual language programs in, uh, there's, there's a one in Kansas City, there's one in Carthage, Missouri, uh, but not, not much going on in the St. Louis area um, and very few in the state in general. Um, so I'm really excited about this new approach. Um, I love the, the really positive academic and social emotional gains that uh, Ms. Ross saw in her classroom. Uh, so, so definitely am excited to share those with you guys today. Uh, I think the big takeaway from this conversation we had is, is bilingualism is a superpower. I, I loved hearing her say that um, and just love this idea of the, the empowerment and the sense of belonging that's achieved through this particular um, instructional model. Um, definitely check out our show notes. Uh, they're inside your podcast feed or you can find our show notes for today's episode at bit.ly forward slash show me edu um all right let's get into today's episode hello show me education listeners i am jonathan lee a member of the show's core team here to share an amazing opportunity with you we at education plus are excited to announce innovate 2023 coming March 29th. Building on the groundwork started by the METC conference, we are looking to spark the seeds of innovation for all educators. We want to hear about your innovative practices in curriculum instruction, SEL, equity, leadership, and technology to ensure student success. Innovation can be a big idea or just a small tweak that improves or enhances a program or everyday practice. So, the question is, what are you doing that's innovative? We want to hear from you. 
click on the link in your podcast feed to submit a 60-second pitch promoting your innovative practice. Be sure it is clear as to what makes your practice innovative, what will participants learn, and why would someone attend your session. Help us ignite the innovative spirit. Are you in? Uh, all right. Hello. We have uh, Jerry Ross uh, joining us for today's episode. Uh, Jerry Ross is a teacher in the Rittner School District in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, Jerry, will you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you, your teaching experience? Yes. Hi. It's great to be here. I'm Jerry Ross. I'm a teacher at Marion Elementary in the Rittner School District. This is my first year teaching first grade. And I've taught at the Rittner School District for four years. The past three have been in second grade. And I recently began this bilingual program that I'm really excited to talk about. All right. Yeah. So as she mentioned, Jerry is uh, leading a bilingual classroom, um, which is pretty unique in the state of Missouri. It's kind of unique in St. Louis. And it's actually unique within her own school. So I believe she's the only bilingual classroom in her school kind of a, a pilot program by the district. Um, so, so Jerry, you're teaching first grade this year, but last year you had your first year um, as, a, as a bilingual teacher and you were teaching second grade. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about the bilingual classroom. Who are your students? What is their first language? Um, go ahead. Just tell us a little bit about it. I'd love to. So, uh, we started our bilingual program last year coming out of the pandemic, if you can remember back to that. So we were trying to try new research driven best practices in our school. And it was a great opportunity to try something new. Um, and we had researched a lot about bilingual programs. I'm a native Spanish speaker and I can use Spanish to help students in my classroom. I'd always known that, but beginning a program into learning more through a TESOL master's, I was exploring more about the bilingual program and brought a proposal to my principals at Marion Elementary for a bilingual program. And we explored dual language, which I think a lot of people are very familiar with. It's where half the class speaks English, half the class speaks Spanish as their native home language. And they come together to become bilingual and learn in both languages, sometimes half the day in one, sometimes and half the day, not another, or sometimes a schedule will be one day in one language, one day in the other. But the goal is for both of them to start as monolingual students and become bilingual students. Um, our school decided to onboard this bilingual pilot program because we have a real need for supports for a growing by uh, Spanish speaking population. Our building has 144 Spanish-speaking English language learners, and we're a building of about 500 students. So there's a really big need in our building, and each year we're noticing an increase. And uh, we saw the research that a bilingual program really, really supports students. So we decided instead of the dual language approach, we would try another approach um, similar called a transitional bilingual program. And we chose that one because it support students who speak Spanish as their, or a, a different language as their home language other than the target language of English. So with a group of all native Spanish speakers, we're able to really provide very accelerated instruction 
in a bilingual program where a dual language program would mean that we would be teaching some students English during the day and some students Spanish during the day and there would be a slow growth in both areas for a while before students acquired the language. While in a bilingual classroom with only native Spanish speakers, I can use Spanish to accelerate their learning in English. And I'd love to talk more about that process later. But that was basically our decision making and we hope to expand it soon. That's great. That's great clarification because as, as you know, because we just spoke, uh, I was confused initially as to if this was dual language or transitional bilingual. Or actually I was under the impression it was dual language. So I thought maybe half the class were native English speakers, but in fact, all of your students are Spanish speaking students. Um, and transitional meaning like throughout the year, there's gonna be more and more instruction in, in English. Is that correct? Is it? Is it yeah, transitioning? Okay, that's ahead. a great point. I'm sorry. Yes, that's a great point. Um, another point on the dual language, another reason we were unable to select it is that our school body is a transient body and we experience a lot of moving throughout the year. Um, students coming in and out, transitioning between buildings and districts. And a dual language program really requires a six-year commitment. While the transitional bilingual program, you can hear in the title that it's about moving students. And so uh, the transitional program sets kids up for an accelerated learning path where they start with a lot of supports in their native language and they build in both languages um, and build more and more confidence and fluency in English until they're ready to enter successfully the English immersion classroom. And our goal would be to start in kindergarten with a lot of Spanish supports and transition by third grade to the English immersion classroom model. And uh, doing that, uh, students would also learn Spanish literacy skills. So we don't want the reductive model, the model of saying, we want to take away your home language and replace it with English. We want to definitely infuse students with the belief and the understanding of the truth that being bilingual is a superpower that they have, that it's wonderful to speak both languages. And we will support them in acquiring Spanish literacy skills along with in English literacy skills, but also see the goal of entering an English immersion classroom and being successful for their whole written or school careers. I, lo I love that uh, bilingualism is a, is a superpower. That's, uh, that's so powerful. And I bet that really um, hits home with students too. Um, so I think um, before we get more into the, the actual classroom and the sort of how does this bilingual classroom work? I want to talk about your Spanish speaking skills. So, so are you a native Spanish speaker? Did you learn Spanish over time? Tell me about your language learning journey, I guess. I love that framing. Yeah, I think it was a real journey. And for a lot of students, it's not a linear path. And I've seen that more and more becoming a teacher for bilingual students. Um, when I was uh, a child, I was raised in a bilingual home. My mom spoke to me in Spanish. At the same time, um, and my first words were in Spanish and I uh, had a lot of caretakers that spoke to me in Spanish. At the same time, English has almost always been my dominant language. And I always have felt more comfortable speaking in English, especially when starting school. I never went to school in a place where Spanish was spoken. And so the community around me mostly was speaking English and I never learned academic language in Spanish. 
until I got to high school and college when I took Spanish in a more academic sense as a class. So I learned new components of the language at that point. And then I feel like I really grew and found my own identity in speaking Spanish when I became a bilingual teacher. I, it really became a part of me, something I'm proud of and something I try to show the students how proud they should be of themselves. But before that, it was a struggle. My um, growing up, I refused to speak Spanish when I was like six to eight and would answer every question in English because I'd seen that modeled in school. And so I know that's a challenge a lot of families face. Um, they're children who enter school, see the benefits of English in the classroom and start refusing to participate in the language, which is so tied to the culture. It can really hurt the relationship in the family and their, the students' connection to their own culture and heritage. Yeah, that's, so first of all, awesome, awesome journey there. Love that your mother uh, spoke to you in Spanish from a young age and then you uh, later developed sort of academic span, Spanish in, in school. Um, let's talk a little bit about, so we've already touched on some really key things and one of it being like, um, by literacy, right? So we want our students to uh, embrace their bilingualism and, and really attain high, le high levels of proficiency in both English and their home language, This in this case being Spanish. Uh, we want them to become literate in both English and their home language. Um, and so, so this sort of asset-based asset um, perspective of, of bilingualism of English learners is super important uh, to, to be present in schools. And I think uh, mostly it's, it's sort of pushing back against some sort of misconceptions that, that many people have. So sometimes it's teachers that uh, don't necessarily view um, bilingualism or, or languages other than English as being assets. Um, and sometimes it's parents that are really kind of had some kind of uh, incorrect information passed along to them where they believe that you know, speaking in their home language is gonna be detrimental to developing English. So um, I'm sure you you know kind of firsthand about sort of um, how some uh, opinions of other teachers or opinions of maybe parents, and maybe could you just talk a little bit about how this is really such a, a wonderful thing and it is sometimes put in a, a weird light that's incorrect. Um, definitely, it's definitely an asset and that was a great way to frame it. Um, a lot of misconceptions, there's a lot of misconceptions around English language learning and around English language learners. And one of the big ones you already touched on is that literacy in two languages is detrimental or slows down the learning process. That was something that had a lot of stigma in our school. Even teachers that really supported students developing bilingualism did not realize that part of language is reading and writing and students are not fully bilingual if we aren't supporting them in their literacy journey in their home language. Um, there was a fear that students uh, who are ready behind in reading, my incoming bilingual class was starting second grade. Most of them were more than a year behind in reading already. And that taking the time to learn reading in Spanish would detrimentally affect their already slow progress in reading. But the research showed that it was the opposite, that students are learning language in an incremental way. And when a student does not have basic tier one vocabulary, does not know how to communicate and feel safe in English, there's no way for them to acquire reading and writing skills in that language. 
but that student has the asset of already speaking Spanish, already speaking their home language, and they can learn to read. And all those skills will then be able to transfer, which is such an important concept, the concept of transference where students take what they already know in one language and can bring it over to their next language. Now there's positive transfer and negative transfer. Sometimes the transfer is, you know, between two things that are very similar. Uh, Spanish and English have lots of similarities, including cognates, words that sound the same in both languages. And so a lot of information can easily transfer. Um, and then other things cannot. And that's where you come into very specific issues you notice with students who share the same home language in their English speaking, that they've overgeneralized and that they're applying a rule from their home language that doesn't apply to English. But in general, developing the literacy skills only accelerates their learning in their next language. And we saw that in our results from our bilingual pilot program that students, 65% of the students in my second grade classroom in our pilot bilingual classroom year started more than a year behind in reading. And by the end of the year, this is in English reading, 50% were reading at grade level and 40% had made two years or more of reading progress. So just an incredible amount of growth for all the students that is really um, due to their incredible growth in reading in Spanish, which we also measured. And most of them started with no reading in Spanish and were reading around a first grade level by the end of the school year. Wow, wow. Those are awesome results, awesome results. Um, yeah, I totally, I totally love the point about the transfer. I think um, any teachers who are listening who are English learner teachers or have had English learner students, um, you, they may have had the experience of having an English learner who is literate in their first language versus having an English learner who doesn't have liter literacy even in the first language yet. And how quickly students who are literate in a first language, just how quickly that they catch on to English, that there's just so many um, sort of foundational literacy skills that, that transfer when you're learning to read in the second language. So for example, like how to um, segment sounds or blend sounds together, or even, even sort of, um, you know, reading from left to right, right? And, or if it shares the same alphabet, some of the sounds are the same. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's really, really interesting. Um, so, so psyched to hear about these, uh, awesome games that you saw. Um, yeah, uh, there's a lot of other misconceptions, though, that we've had to address. Um, the literacy thing was definitely high on the list, but we noticed a lot of interesting other misconceptions that usually come from a very uh, good place in teachers' hearts are trying to help, and they just have these misconceptions that are informing their teaching, negatively informing it. Um, and one of them that was really prevalent when we talked to the building and introduced this idea of the bilingual classroom was that high quality ELL instruction is just good teaching practices and it's good for everyone and it's just the same for everyone. So that's like the first PD you probably get in ELL uh, supports would be like use more visuals, um, make add gestures, add um, graphic organizers, lots of supports that we know as teachers are good for all students. Um, but when we focused on the bilingual program, we were doing it to address and support ELL students in a specific way that goes beyond those um, just good teaching practices and includes teaching to negative language transfer, teaching to cognate recognition and identification, teaching to uh, differences in grammar, form and function, things that 
um, really wouldn't help a native speaker, but really are important to explicitly teach to English language learners. Um, and another thing we noticed a lot is that teachers uh, supporting ELL students always sees math as a refuge. You know, math is a universal language. I've heard that a lot. It's just yeah. numbers. If they're paying attention, they're going to get it. But to understand that math is being taught in our language. So mm -hmm. there is a barrier to all that instruction. And it's becoming a bigger and bigger barrier. In a recent uh, math curriculum meeting we had, I was told math is a universal language. And then for an hour, we discussed student discourse about math and how important that is. And that's yeah. all in language. So it's yeah. we're teaching it inside of language. And so we really have to work to make math accessible as well. And the last thing would be that students' native language doesn't affect the instruction for ELL teachers or doesn't affect how you teach the student their target language because, well, they're all learning English anyway. So English has the same rules if you're a Chinese speaker or if you're a Spanish speaker. But the truth is that because of that transfer that we've already talked about between what you know and what you're learning and how much what you're ready your language framework you already have impacts how you communicate. To ignore students' na native languages, to treat it like a deficit and not use it as the asset to understand students' confusions and to support students in the challenges that they're most likely to face. Because after teaching many, many native Spanish speakers English, I've noticed many specific things that you can just address right away have a little mini lesson and say, this is going to come up and it might not have come up if they were a native Chinese speaker. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, I think the math thing is interesting. I totally agree. Like uh, if, if math was purely computation or something, then maybe it would be universal. But really you're reading a lot of math, right? You're, so there's all kinds of word problems and then explaining your thinking and things like that. Like you're definitely using a lot of language um, and so there's definitely need for, for support, even in math, or sometimes especially in math. So, um, yeah, great, Jerry. Um, so, uh, I think I want, I want you to just kind of tell us a little bit about how does your classroom work? So, like, is it a 50-50 split between English and Spanish? Are there certain subjects that are English and certain that are always in Spanish? Um, so maybe just kind of take us through your typical typical sort of day and how how language is either used together or separated or when when do we do what in, in Miss Ross's room? Yeah. I'd love to. Yes, there's a lot of planning that goes into this and I've seen bilingual programs in different states and countries that all have different strategies. Some do only one subject in one language and another subject in another. Some keep it the same language for a week, a day, an hour. So there's a lot of choices to make. Um, we also had a lot of district expectations that we had to work around. For example, specials and lunch and recess, those will be in English. Um, 120 minutes of English language literacy every day. So there's a lot of expectations that we're working around. We decided to do half the day in English, half the day in Spanish model. Um, there was a couple reasons for that. One, we wanted to ensure, or I wanted to ensure that literacy in both languages was taught every single day. It's really important stuff. And I was worried about, you know, any, any time cutting into that learning in English or Spanish, I felt would be detrimental. So yeah. making sure that 
uh, a time of the day was in English and a time of day was in Spanish. Now, the first year we did a lot of learning about this. You know, we put up plans, we changed them, we put up plans and changed them. One of the things I noticed is that for me, as much as for the children, it is very confusing switching between the languages too often. I felt the first two weeks like I was swimming in languages. <laughs> I was like, do I speak any languages anymore? So um, definitely to avoid confusion, to support students feeling comfortable and clear on the expectations, we keep the transitions of languages down to one or two times a day. Um, so right now the schedule would be in the morning, students would come in, there's a light at the front of the room, like a pop light, so you can touch it and change the colors. That's clearly in red. And red means that we're speaking Spanish. So everything in my room that's in red is written in Spanish. And every time we're speaking Spanish, that light is red. And all the slides have a red or pinkish background. And everything is visually red. And mm -hmm. when we begin the day, we start with our Spanish song. So we start by welcoming everybody into the Spanish speaking hour. And we say, bienvenidos a la hora español. Adios ingles, adios ingles, hola español. And then we start only in Spanish. And if students do say something in English, they get confused, they needed help, they only knew how to say it in English, there's very positive corrections. There's never like, I can't hear you when you're speaking another language or I don't understand you, but there's, look at the light. What color are we speaking? What language are we speaking? How could you say that in English or in Spanish? Do you want a friend to say it in Spanish? And then you can repeat them. Different ways to support them so that they feel comfortable communicating in the correct language. Mm -hmm. Then we have our morning meeting. We have a lot of songs during the day and almost all the songs have an English version and a Spanish version because almost all the subjects are taught in both languages at different days of the week. Me. Me. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So uh, the morning meeting this Monday is in Spanish. We finish our Monday meeting and we start our Spanish math. All the resources for math are in a purple folder that's able to be, that can be used in English and Spanish, like number lines, number charts, um, charts to 100, charts to 120, resources that could be used. Um, we also use things that are like cultural manipulative. So since the beginning, since I've taught Spanish, well, exclusively Spanish speakers in this bilingual classroom, every year, many parents teach their children at home to use corn husks or to use dried uh, beans as counters and then they'll send them into school or we'll bring them for the kids and that way they're like that's exactly how my mom does math and it's a great connection so yeah. we'll do our math lesson after math we'll switch to english and so that means there's a transition song someone gets to turn the light someone gets to sing the song it's the same sounding song but it's in english welcome all to the class in english goodbye to spanish goodbye to spanish hello to english then we were right there we're in english the lights in english all the slides are in english and then we do writing in english we go to specials we have english infused integrated science and social studies so that's something people worry about when they start a bilingual program all the things i already do in my schedule are so important what can i take out to put in english language curriculum english language development curriculum that's tailored to my spanish speakers that's going to really support them that would be like you know, incredible sheltered English class. Mm -hmm. um, 
And what I've done is not take out anything, just integrate it. So uh, the science and social studying that we would have done with the district curriculum is now an English language curriculum that infuses science and social studies material in with it. After lunch, we we would have a reading rotation. So a reading block time, reading rotations. I have a ELL specialist who pushes into our classroom. And it's really lovely having a bilingual classroom because it makes push-ins so useful and effective and collaboration really useful because they're not pulling from six different classes. They can really get to know the students and I know their level and the push-in uh, teacher also knows their level. So we work together in that time. And then after recess, we will transition to Spanish the rest of the day. Spanish literacy block, we're reading in Spanish. I have a Spanish um, like um, comprehension curriculum and a Spanish phonics curriculum, just like I do for English. And then we do writing as well in Spanish. And that's our end of our day. And that's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The only difference on Tuesdays and Thursdays would be that our math is in English. And that means our morning is in English and our afternoon is in Spanish. So it's a little change on Tuesdays and Thursdays to ensure that students are learning the numbers and all the vocabulary that we're learning in Spanish math, in English math, and then giving them that chance, extra chance for um, the morning meeting in English and all those extra um, home and school words that we use in the morning. Neat, neat. Um, wow, I have so many questions. Um, so, I mean, I think, so one thing is like, I imagine having the content or the subjects taught in both English and Spanish that you like come across so many cognates. So again, to our listeners, I think uh, Jerry already explained once, but a cognate is a word that sounds similar in English as it does in, in Spanish or so sounds similar in a home language as it does in, in English. So like, you know, if I say chocolate, you know, chocolate means chocolate because it sounds like chocolate, right? So, so cognates are especially present in like academic uh, vocabulary. So, so Jerry, do do kids make a lot of those connections between like, oh, you know, you said, I don't know, a, a certain word in English yesterday and here it is in Spanish and they sound so alike. Definitely. So, um, you made a really good point that with the bilingual classroom and doing every subject in both languages, we notice a lot of cognates, but we also have this opportunity to talk about what's in Spanish versus what's in English. And that's kind of comes, that's part of the importance of tailoring the instructions to the Spanish speakers. So students are not discovering this. Well, we are once we're set up to. I think uh, it's an incredible skill to be able to identify these. And it's not something students are naturally doing all the time, but it's a very big help in their language acquisition if they're pointed in that direction. So Spanish and English are very similar languages. I'm sure cognates or other strategies are used to compare two languages for many other um, home language and target language bilingual classrooms, but we're especially lucky in Spanish and English. A third of words in English and Spanish are cognates. So we're going to find cognates everywhere. And it's super important that we're looking for them. So we have a cognate corner in the classroom. And we also, we love songs and chants. We also have a chant in English and Spanish. Every time we come across a cognate, we're finding cognate words. We have gestures as well. Cognates are the same or similar in English and Spanish. 
And then we'd say the two words, one with each hand. So on our left hand for Spanish, we'd say the word, and then our right hand for English, we'd say the word. So classic class, classic class. Kindness <laughs> are the same or similar in English and Spanish. And also we can even find the negative transfer issues because all those cognates are great examples of positive transfer between Spanish and English, but there are negative transfers between cognates. Some words do sound the same and they do not mean the same thing. We have the classic funny example of embarazada, embarrassed. It actually means pregnant. So that does not mean yeah. embarrassed. Presumir, yeah. um, presume, no, presumir means to show up. So it's very, very different when you use it in context or actual realmente lots of different words have a different meaning and uh drawing students attention to that is always very useful and then students will start comparing other words apple banana uh, apple manzana banana 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 yeah. apple manzana not or some students culturally don't use the same words i liked to use banana banana as an example but it's sometimes banana platano so mm -hmm. that doesn't really work yeah. um and we love to compare those two because spanish is not a monolith and a lot of students say like we have a million different ways to say popcorn in our class that was a word that we could not agree on in our class and it pal so, palomitas or palomitas is how i say it yeah <laughs> but yeah. puerto rico had a different way colombia had a different way so there was a lot of different ones that we were hearing in our class um so I didn't even, we didn't even touch on that, that you probably have students who have different dialects of Spanish, right? So definitely. So we, a lot of our students are from uh, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, but we also have lots of students from Mexico and we're actually getting a lot of students from Colombia and that South American Spanish is quite different from uh, Latin American, Central American Spanish in some ways. Um, Central, especially Mexican Spanish dialects sometimes are pretty infused with English words, like um, kind of as someone who also studied Spanish, it's sometimes frustrating to hear lonche all the time <laughs> instead of almuerzo. But there is a lot of um, just um, mixing of the two languages on the border and a lot of Spanish from Mexican students might be infused with some English words. So that's always interesting and a challenge for maybe some Colombian families who never heard that type of um, Spanglish in their yeah. Spanish before. Yeah, that's so, that's so interesting. And which, which dialects is lunche instead of almuerzo? Oh gosh, everyone in Central America says lunche. lunche. Oh, <laughs> they even goodness. told me it was a cognate. They said lunche lunch. I was like, yeah, if you do it that way, it is. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And you know what you said, platano? I thought like there is the word plantain as like a yeah, like, that's like true. A banana, so that would kind of be a fact. You know what? You're totally like right. I get. I um learn so much when we're comparing languages. It's so interesting because I learn more about both languages from myself, hearing the mistakes students make, or hearing them compare things and and thinking about it like. This ayuno and breakfast don't sound at all alike, but when I told them the trick that breakfast is to break the fast, I was like, well, ayuno is fast in Spanish, so this ayuno is to break this fast also. So they're the same in some ways. Um, man, I, this is fantastic. I feel like I could talk to you for hours about this. Also, I really need to get to your classroom. I really want to see this. Um, You're more than welcome. So, That'd be amazing. Um, some things, sort of closing thing is I want to talk a little bit about 
like what are the plans moving forward? So I, I know you taught second grade last year and now you're teaching first grade. Um, and you sort of mentioned like maybe starting in kindergarten and then, uh, so basically is the plan to start with younger grades and then as they get older, they go more to, to English only instruction, I guess. And are there any plans to have additional bilingual classrooms? And I don't know if anything has actually been decided on any of this, but just in what are, what are your sort of feelings as far as as what the future might hold at uh, Marion Elementary as far as bilingual education? Yes. So I've moved to first grade in hopes to expand the program. The biggest barrier right now is actually finding fluent bilingual teachers to teach at Marion Elementary. And so if anybody listening is a bilingual teacher or knows a bilingual teacher, please contact me because we are always looking for bilingual teachers and we would love to expand. We have met a couple very great candidates for next year and we will be expanding next year to kindergarten first and then hopefully in the future kindergarten first second. And once we've built out that program, our district is loving the program. Our results have been incredible. And so we would love to expand the program to every building in our district. So that's definitely something we're hoping to do. And our biggest barrier right now is the teachers who are passionate about and um, successful enough in both languages to successfully teach a bilingual classroom. Our results, our first year, were incredible. Not just the reading results I discussed already, but using Spanish and English together in content like math had incredible impacts. Beginning of the year, 100% of the students were below basic in my second grade classroom on the evaluate monthly assessment. And by the end of the year, 75% of the students were proficient or advanced in the same content, the grade level content. So it was just an amazing acceleration and growth. And the biggest thing I noticed and the biggest thing I wanna celebrate and leave everybody thinking about is that the bilingual program had incredible effects on students' academic growth. But being in the classroom every day, the biggest change I saw was in their social emotional well-being that from the beginning of the year where students were embarrassed to speak to me in Spanish, even though that was their preferred language, where students were uncomfortable speaking with others about their language, their culture, their experience coming to America, and where students were not feeling welcomed to feeling like they were the special class, the class with superpowers, because being bilingual is a superpower. The class that other kids said, can you teach me Spanish really quickly? Because I want to join your class. The yeah. kids who had something so incredible that they got to share with so many people and they felt so safe supporting each other. Um, uh, students really do struggle when they come to elementary school and don't speak the language. A lot of people seeing how quickly students learn English at an elementary level feel like there isn't the same struggle that there is in middle school and high school, but there really is a, a, a struggle and it's really impactful on young children. So many students before this bilingual program was started were scared or did not know how to go to the bathroom, get to the bathroom because they could not express that to their teachers. Um, they had things happening at home, like so many elementary school teachers would know we we're that first line of defense, making sure students are safe and healthy and happy. And so many students were suffering silently because they could not share with their teachers what was happening. And after experiencing hearing those students, supporting those students, while I didn't have the bilingual classroom, I'm just so happy to create that environment at the school, make sure that does not happen again. And I just think it's incredible 
to have, and it should be in more places in St. Louis. Jerry, I absolutely love that message. I, I love that you not only had academic results and, and big, big time boosts in student achievement, but I just love this idea of students feeling like my language matters, my language belongs in school. I'm in, I'm in a, a special class. I'm not, you know, I'm not being segregated from, from, but instead it's like, hey, this is really a cool thing that we have going on in my school and, and that other students even wanna be in your class. So that's so, that's so great to hear. Um, that's so important for those students. Um, Jerry, thank you so much for spending a little time and telling us about your bilingual classroom. Uh, once again, her name is Jerry Ross. She is a first grade teacher at Marion Elementary and is teaching in a bilingual classroom and seeing some huge results. So, so thanks again, Jerry. Thank you so much. Wow, what a great conversation that was. Uh, thank you so much to uh, Ms. Jerry Ross, today's guest. Um, and thank you to, to all of you out there who are listening to, today, to today's episode. Um, if you guys have a favorite resource on bilingual education or dual language education, and you'd like to share that with us, uh, please tag us on social media. Um, you could use the hashtag showmeeducation um, or tag us again uh, on Twitter. You can find us at showmeeducation. Um, you could also share those resources with us on Facebook if you uh, search for the Show Me Education podcast. Um, our next episode, episode number 27, is going to be out in about two weeks on October 19th. Um, and until then, Missouri educators, you guys keep up the great work. Uh, see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Education podcast. Be sure to share your learning from the show with others. The Show Me Education podcast is a collaborative project between the Regional Professional Development Centers of Missouri with a vision of sharing best practices and showing you the amazing and meaningful work of educators across Missouri and beyond. Please subscribe to the show to catch all the wonderful content coming your way.